Hey, what's going on? It's Matt Polis, and it's time for another episode of Meat Sauce for Tuesday, February the 9th, 2021. This is episode number 17. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in. I want to start off today by first wishing my girlfriend Jess a very happy birthday. Her birthday is tomorrow, February the 10th. Um, I'm, I'm so very proud of, of how well she's doing in nursing school, especially during this pandemic. She's in her second full semester of the program, and to see the amount that is put on her plate is pretty overwhelming to me, to say the least. You know, but she is handling it so well. She's incredibly intelligent, and I'm just so very, very proud of proud of her, and I'm looking forward to celebrating her tomorrow. So happy birthday to her. It's crazy to think we're her and I are going on three years of being together already. You know, it's going to be three years this May, uh, and time is just absolutely flying by. Like, I can't, <clears throat> I can't get over just like, you know, we're, we're almost like a year into when this pandemic really started to hit the United States. You know, we started seeing it in February, but really, you know, early March, middle of March is kind of where it really started to, uh, to affect all of our lives. I remember my <clears throat> I remember my last day of work. It was March the 13th. So it's it's just hard to believe that we're coming up on a year since that, you know. I feel like and I don't know how you feel, but I feel like a totally different person than I was a year ago, you know, in a good way. You know, I found new hobbies, new interests, and I just see the world and my life just a little bit different than I did a year ago. You know, it's it for me it's been really hard been really hard to have been furloughed for almost a year now. <clears throat> I really never thought it would be that long. And, you know, the uncertainty has just put a lot of stress on myself, you know, because it's, it's a lot of the unknown, you know, and I don't think any of us really thought that this was going to last as long as it has, you know. But, you know, fortunately for me, my job is still there. You know, it's really just a matter of, getting schools back open, which, you know, at the beginning of all this, I was very much on board with schools need to be safe. And if they can do it remotely, do it remotely. But at this point, with so many things open, so many things happening, you know, fortunately, now teachers are also getting vaccinated, which is good. But I, I feel like we're getting... A year of kids being out of school, I don't know, it's it's starting to get a little bit much, you know, and, and I don't know if that's my bias speaking because I work with schools, you know, I'm not in the schools, but I work with them. Really, I, I for me, and, you know, obviously for families and everything, like schools being back open would help a lot, and, you know, it's going to allow me to go back to work at some point. You know, I don't know if that's going to be this spring. I don't know if it's going to be pushed back to the to the start of next school year. I'm not really sure. At this point, it feels like anything is possible. You know, it doesn't feel like we're like close to ending this. It doesn't feel like it's too far away. It's just really hard to know, you know, exactly what's going to happen here. So, and, you know, you may be asking, you know, why haven't I found a new job during all this? And, you know, I, I've contemplated that a lot because, you know, again, it is scary to like <laughs> not have that everyday thing where, you know, not have that security, especially the financial security, you know. So 
I, I don't know. To be honest, I, I, I have a good job. The job I have, the job I'm waiting to come back is a good job. It pays me well enough to enjoy the things that I want to enjoy in life. You know, I do get satisfaction out of the work that I complete, you know, especially knowing that's helping so many kids in the process. And, and really, the company respects their employees. They, expect, they respect their time, their personal lives. You know, and I'm, I've technically been there over five years now, and it just hasn't felt like something I can just kind of up and leave because I don't believe I should have to do that, you know? There's so many other people that have still been able to work through all of this, work from home, et cetera, et cetera. I, I don't really think I didn't do anything wrong. You know, the people who were furloughed beside me have done nothing wrong, and people all over the country who've lost their jobs have done nothing wrong to lose their job. I, I think it's... It's, uh, I don't know. It's, just, it's crazy to think that people who have lost their jobs during this pandemic should, are supposed to just go simply find something new, you know, especially when people lost good jobs at no fault of their own and really no fault of the company either, you know, for, for people to think of those people, including myself, are just lazy and just don't want to work and just want to collect unemployment or government checks or whatever, I think, <laughs> one, I, I think it's just an ignorant way of thinking, and I think those people can't get out of their own way and out of their own ideology to see what's really going on. You know, I, I think this pandemic has taught us a lot about just how kind of, I don't, fake is like not the right word, but I'm going to use fake in this sense, just how fake everything is. Like working ourselves to the bone just to live with some enjoyments in life is fake, the stock market soaring during one of the worst economic crises since the Great Depression. Fake, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I feel like we've all just been led to believe that we have to work 50 to 60 hour work weeks to make all the money to survive and then we'll be happy. And I just, I challenge that. I just don't know if that's true. You know, in the words of the notorious B.I.G., more money, more problems. It's just not worth it. You know, the stress isn't worth it. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't work hard and to, ch you know, you shouldn't work hard to chase your dreams. You shouldn't, like, care to work. Like, work, hard work is great. It is rewarding. But I just question why do we work hard for a quote-unquote dream that really ends up just being a job where we have to then work even more. You know, and I guess if somebody is working their dream job, then it doesn't feel like work. And I get that, but th that's not the majority of people, you know, and the people who aren't working their dream jobs aren't just lazy and didn't pursue their dreams. Life happens and you end up in places maybe you didn't really expect, but I just, I question, you know, why we work so hard to end up just working some more, you know, and I guess, and again, if you enjoy the work, then 50, 60 hours a week doesn't seem so bad, you know, maybe. But do people work as hard at, like, their hobbies that they enjoy? Or do they just do their hobbies to pass the time until it's time to go back to work again? Am I making sense? I don't know. I just see other countries who work less hours, days a week, than we do, and, and their quality of life. I mean, there's studies out there. I'm not, I don't have them off the top of my head, but... There's studies out there that show that the quality of life in other countries are <laughs> much higher than ours. 
and quality of life doesn't necessarily mean more money. It just means <laughs> you are happier, plain and simple. And I just think as a country, we've been led to believe that working and making money is the only way to be happy, you know, and, and yes, obviously money is important to have. It allows us to do the things we love, but why does it come at the price of killing ourselves physically and emotionally just to have some joy in life? You know, I want to, I, personally, I want to live in a world where people work less and have more time for the things they really care about, you know, and, and I know there's people out there that feel the same. You know, I, I want to feel like I, I want to flip the script on what we're just supposed to do and focus on the things that really matter to us as individuals. You know, it, it's the same people that say we only have one life, so live it to the fullest. And then they proceed to go sit in a cubicle for 50 hours a week just to get to the weekend again. Like, I, I, I question that. Why? You know, there's more out there than just making a bunch of money and buying a bunch of stuff. Do I want money? Of course. Do I want to make more money? Of course. But I I think there's a fine line. There's a happy medium of the amount of hours spent to earn that type of money versus the joy you're missing out on life outside of the cubicle. That maybe you'll have a little bit less money, but you'll have more freedom. I don't know. It's kind of my take a little bit, you know... I, Sorry for the rant. I just have these thoughts from time to time. And this is, you know, this is what I'm using this podcast for. So, you know, I'm hoping to connect with people who feel similar or even people who see it differently. You know, I think it's an important topic to talk about. I'm just simply asking the question, why? Why do we live like this? You know, why do we allow it? We just accept it. And that's that. You know, I just want to challenge the the status quo a little bit. You know, I, again, not not disregarding hard work, not disregarding, you know, people chasing their dream careers, you know, and, and I, I might just be different where my dream is not necessarily a job. You know, my dream is doing things I enjoy as much as I can do them, as much as time allows to do them and not, I don't know, not working myself to the bone and then have a limited amount of time to do those things. Cause more often than not you work all those hours, then you're too tired to do anything. So I digress. Uh, let's move on. Uh, let's see. Now it's time for another segment of what's on the shelf. Today's whiskey I'm going to be talking about is the old Forester blue label also known as Old Forester 86. Uh, Old Forester is a brand of Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey produced by the Brown Forman Corporation. It is officially the longest running bourbon on the market today, approximately 149 years or so as of 2020. And it was the first bourbon sold exclusively in sealed bottles. Uh, Old Forester's mash bill is made up of 72% corn, 18% rye, and 10% malted barley. The 86 proof bottle is said to be four years old, uh, which I learned that any whiskey that is said to be Kentucky straight bourbon, it's at least aged four years. Just having the word straight on there means it's at least four years old. Um, this bottle retails for about $22, at least up here in Michigan. It is a great daily sipper. It's a great entry level bourbon. Uh, this is a bottle that I will probably buy 
again and again just because of the value. You know, it's not a very high proof, it's 86 proof. So it allows someone who may be new to drinking bourbon, especially neat, to be able to enjoy the flavors and not get overtaken by the proof. I actually poured a, poured a glass of this last night and it, it's just a nice, easy sipping, sipping bourbon. Um, it has a really nice nose to it. The Old Forester website describes it, the nosing notes as sharp and sweet with a strong floral character that swirls with hints of mint, rich tobacco leaf, and vanilla. To me, honestly, and it took me a little bit, but it immediately smells like banana runts. Like if you ever had a banana runt, it smells so much like that, it's crazy. And like I said, it took me a while to get that aroma, but once I did, it's like I can't stop smelling that specific profile. And in a lot of videos I've watched, those guys have said the same thing, that it's like super banana heavy. So it's it's a really nice nose, and like I said, it's it's so so smooth, and it's really easy sipper. Uh, the website also says that the taste is a touch of oak and pine provides a strong underpinning, sharp at first but softens quickly with hints of oak, sweet corn and rye grain character, spicy with soft vanilla and light orange notes. I'll be honest, I'm not really sure what I get on the palate with this one but it's really easy and enjoyable to drink, like I said. So I highly recommend grabbing this bottle as a simple daily sipper. And again, it's only $22. It's a great introduction to bourbon. If you're somebody who is wanting to get into that, and but you know you, you can't hand, you, at this point, you're not interested in the higher proofs where you're gonna get more of that spice, more of that burn. I would recommend starting with something like this. It's cheap, great value, it tastes good. You can start to kind of try to pick out some different nosing notes and some tasting notes. So I really, really, really recommend the Old Forester Blue Label, 86 proof, $22. I mean, you can't really beat that. All right, that's it for this week's edition of uh, What's on the Shelf. Let's move on to some sports. I want to give a quick shout out to the Cleveland Browns head coach, Kevin Stefanski, on being named the 2020 NFL Coach of the Year. It's honestly not really a surprise to me at all. He's incredible <laughs> and deserves the, the award. You know, I'm sure there's some other coaches. I know Sean McDermott of the Bills probably is deserving as well. But the Bills have been in the playoffs the last couple of years. So, to me, Stefanski took... This Browns team that had so much talent really just put it, like, made it a culture change, and and here we are, you know. So I think he is up the utmost deserving coach to get that award. Uh, a couple Reds updates here. Early last week, I saw. I think it was actually right after I published this episode or uh, last week's episode. The Reds signed left-handed relief pitcher Sean Doolittle to a one-year deal. I like that signing a lot. It finally, it feels like the Reds have done a little bit of something now. You know, it brings a lot of veteran depth to the bullpen. Uh, for those that don't know, Doolittle was with the Nationals when they won the World Series a couple years ago. I think he was either their setup man in the eighth inning or he was their closer. I can't really remember. Uh, but from what I can tell, he's a great clubhouse guy and a solid lefty to throw out there in the eighth or ninth inning. You know, you combine him with Amir Garrett and Lucas Sims, and that starts to become pretty exciting at the back end of the bullpen there. So he also kind of reminds me, I don't know how old he is, he also kind of reminds me of an older Archie Bradley. 
you know, imagine if the Reds would have kept Bradley for this upcoming year. I mean, if they did, then they probably wouldn't have been able to sign somebody like Doolittle to a one-year deal, but that would have been a dynamic and dynamite <laughs> bullpen. You know, they also signed yesterday. I saw they signed infielder D Gordon to a minor league deal, which is pretty cool. It's, it, I'm interested to see what happens with him. He could be another veteran guy to come off the bench and pinch hit or pinch run, you know, definitely provides a little more speed to the Reds, which is something that is certainly lacking. It was lacking last year, had like no speed on the base paths, but they basically only hit home runs anyways. So it didn't really matter, I guess. I'm really curious. It's hard to believe, you know, pitchers and catchers report like by the end of this month, you know, so just a couple of weeks away, really wild. I'm really curious to see where Nick Lodolo, the first round pick in 2019, ends up this season. You know, I didn't hear much about him. And obviously with no minor league baseball last year, it was really hard to know where these guys stand. But I'd have to think he'll start moving up the ranks and get closer to the majors this year. You know, like, we drafted him out of the Reds drafted him out of college, so it's not like he's a high school guy who needs a lot of years. Like he's got college years under his belt. I would imagine he's he's closer than than others would be to uh, to getting up to the majors. And then you also have Hunter Green. I know he's coming off of Tommy John surgery, but he could be a key piece to the major league roster. I'm not sure really too many people are expecting at this moment. I see videos all the time of him. Uh, throwing, working out, all of that. So it seems like he's getting back to back to form, and he could be he could be a monster for sure. He kind of reminds me of like a mixture of Rysela Glacius and Aroldis Chapman, just as far as height and how hard he can throw, and his breaking stuff and all of that. So I'm excited to see, and he seems like he has a really good head on his shoulders too. So I'm excited to see where he goes this season. If he could be in the major league roster, you know, that that would be awesome to see him come up. You know, it's about time we start seeing some of these draft picks start to make some leaps towards the majors. You know, it feels like we haven't seen other than Jose Garcia from last year and he wasn't really ready. You know, we haven't really seen too many of our draft picks other than Nick Senzel and he can't stay healthy, so so hopefully we start to see some of that start to pay off here for the Reds. But And as far as I know, Major League Baseball is still expected to start on time this spring. I know they MLB had um, tried to get the season pushed back a month. I know the commissioner wanted to do that. They offered the, the Players Association like 54 games at 100% of the salary for those 54 games. I just don't really understand why we're trying to push it back. You know, all the other leagues, you know, NHL, NFL, NBA, they've all been able to work through this COVID and and they've figured it out. I, I just don't think baseball really has an excuse to not start on time. You know, like they went through the COVID season through 60 games or whatever. And I, I just think it's crazy you've had since basically at the end of October to prepare and get everything ready to start, you know, and I, I think that's, I think they don't really have an excuse, you know, and I think there should even be fans in the stands again, because there's no reason why they can't do that. You saw the NFL do it pretty seam seamlessly, you know, and it's not like baseball gets 
60,000 fans like NFL games do, you know? So I think the Red Stadium holds like 40,000 maybe. So it's like, and they they might average 20 to 25,000 a night. So like cut that even in half and just have 10,000 there. I mean, that's what we were used to back in like the 2016, 2017 days. So I don't think there's any excuse that MLB should not have fans and they should not start on time. That's that's inexcusable to me when you had again since October on how to prepare for this. But who am I? You know, I'm just a guy talking into a microphone. All right, moving on to Super Bowl 55 recap. I mean, did anyone expect the game to go like that? <laughs> I don't even think the Buccaneers fans expected it to be that easy for their team. They played so well. You know, I, I mentioned it here for the past few weeks that the Bucks' defense is so underrated, and they've been playing aggressively and fast. And, I mean, they played with, like, basically two linemen and then four linebackers. And those four linebackers are fast and big. I mean, that was... I feel like that was something that the Chiefs really hadn't seen other than when they played them earlier in the season. You know, and they did to the Chiefs' offense what I mentioned last week. You have to shut down Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill and put pressure on Mahomes. And they did that all night long. I saw a stat that said Mahomes ran a total of 497 yards before his passes or when he was sacked. So all of his scrambling that he did, some of the plays where he ran backwards like 25 yards, he ran for a total of 497 yards. (laughs) That's so much running to not get anywhere. But the Chiefs offense just could not get anything going. you know. And, and I credit Todd Bowles, the defensive coordinator of the Bucks, on having a great game plan and calling a great game. I mean, it, we no one has seen a team do that to the Chiefs offense in the last two years. So it was pretty remarkable to see how just good <laughs> they were playing and how easy they were making it look. I mean, they had the Chiefs just completely caught off guard. You know, and and I I'd imagine if if head coach head coaching searching is that even a proper sentence? I'd have to imagine if like the head coach search searches that happened before the Super Bowl, if that was not able to be done in, by NFL teams until after the Super Bowl, you would you would have to think like what would Todd Bowles like? I feel like his phone would be ringing off the hook this week to about inquiries about being a head coach because. You know, we all watched that in kind of amazement. <laughs> but, you know, and the Chiefs' defense played really sloppy. You know, I'd also mentioned here the last few weeks that their defense had been playing at a really high level, playing aggressive. Tyron Matthew had been the leader of that defense and was really looking forward to them doing more of the same to Tom Brady and the Bucks' offense, but Tom picked them apart, you know. The Chiefs' defense also just made some really dumb mistakes and caused several penalties. Now, Say what you will about the penalties, but honestly, my response to Chief fans complaining about the calls by the refs, it's, you know, welcome to the NFL. (laughs) I've, it felt like, you know, all other teams, and not to say the Chiefs have never gone through this, but all other teams have gone through those kinds of calls, you know. Some, even when those teams were playing the Chiefs, you know, for instance, the missed helmet to helmet call on Browns wide receiver Rashard Higgins in the divisional round game. You know, when the ball went out of the back of the end zone for a touchback. All other teams experienced that same sort of officiating. And I think last night, 
KC played too loose and got a lot of big penalties called on them that they don't normally have happen. But you can't dwell on those penalties. You have to take it for what it is and keep playing. You know, so you can, I mean, people can complain about the calls or whatever, but again, I invite you to the NFL. Like, I don't know where you've been, but that's, those calls happen in the NFL all the time. And they just happen to be called against the Chiefs on Sunday. I'm not saying I agree with the calls. And I'm not saying that I think the NFL is fantastic at officiating. I don't think they're fantastic at all. I think the officiating needs some serious work. You know, but what are you going to do about it? You know, it's like, if as long as it's all called fairly to all teams, you know, and if it feels like this might be one of the first times that the Chiefs have had those kind of calls on them this season. So <clears throat> I think it is what it is. You know, you know, overall the game didn't go, I think, as anyone expected. But I, I'll be honest, I hate Tom Brady less on the Buccaneers than I did on the Patriots. And I think a lot of people probably would agree with that. Now, if they win another Super Bowl down in Tampa with Tom there, then I'll probably hate him again <laughs> just as much. But you just have to give, it, give credit where it's due. I mean, the guy's been to 10 Super Bowls, and he's won seven of them. You know, And I think the Bucs came, came into the game underrated, and no one really expected them to handle the Chiefs the way that they did. I mean, I think people thought the, that the Bucs could beat the Chiefs. I don't think they expected it to go the way that it did, though. So kudos to, to Bruce Arians and his entire coaching staff and just on a, a really dominant performance. You know, obviously, too, the Chiefs will be back. You know, Mahomes is on a 10-year contract. Tyler or Travis Kelsey just signed, like, another six-year deal. You know, I'll be interested to see how other pieces fall into place for them. You know, how long is Tyreek Hill on contract? Are they able to bring him back at what kind of money? You know, that's the one interesting thing about having a salary cap in the NFL. It's, it makes it difficult to keep a lot of key pieces all the time for so many years you know so at some point Mahomes' contract is going to kick in and you wonder what they what the Chiefs can do to keep talent around him at a relatively cheaper price you know but they still have so much talent you know they'll, they'll continue to be a force in the AFC and Mahomes is going to be better honestly because of his performance in this game, like he's going to come back next year with this sort of revenge on his mind. So, but man, what a season for the NFL. So much fun. You know, this season gave us, us the fans, a little bit of everything, you know, from dealing with COVID, teams not having certain positions, like the Broncos play without a quarterback, a true quarterback for a game. The Browns play without an entire wide receiving core. New teams who haven't been in the playoff chase for so long finally getting their shot. So much talent just across the board on every team. And that's also part of the fun of the salary cap is like it's evening the playing field a little bit and every team has solid pieces, you know, to be great. And I'll tell you, Major League Baseball, <laughs> Major League Baseball needs to follow in the NFL's footsteps and figure out how to get their sport to the level of excitement that is the NFL. You know, like, people love the NFL. People don't love Major League Baseball. And I don't think MLB takes a hard enough look as to why that is. And they only seem to be trying to make the game more boring, less fun for us fans. So, 
All right, I think that's going to do it for today's episode. I'm really looking forward to Major League Baseball starting up. As much as I talk crap about it, I'm re- I love baseball. It's been my my life for a really long time. I can't wait to talk more about spring training and what this season's going to look like for the Cincinnati Reds and really all of the Major League Baseball teams. But obviously, I will have plenty more with the NFL as we head into free agency, trades, and of course, the NFL draft. Thanks so much for joining me. I hope you have a great rest of your week, and I will check in with you next week. Bye, everybody.